Hello, everybody. Um, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm Delaney Hall. For those of you I haven't met, I used to work with Third Coast, and I still love them very much. So um, welcome to Saturday. Um, we're going to hear from Stephen Tilley, who has come all the way from Sydney to do this presentation. Um, he's going to be talking about sound design for radio. This session is called Out of Thin Air. And we want to um, give a special thanks to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation for making this happen. Um, before we get started, just please make sure to turn off your cell phones. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephen Tilley. Um, I work for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I'm based in Sydney. And I mainly work on features pr programs, documentaries, radio drama, music recording and I'm a sound engineer. But part of the great things about the department I work for is that we work very closely with producers. We work together in the studio as a team. We work collaboratively so that producers would be out recording stories, um, on location, traveling, and they bring material back and we work together to make a radio program out of it. Um, I work across genres, which is really good. I work from drama, um, working between drama, documentary, poetry programs, which is great because you can bring skills and ideas from one form to the other. And you'll hear some examples of that today. Um, I suppose, what is sound design? Um, it's basically the way we construct our radio programs. It doesn't have to be amazingly fancy. It, it can be simple, but it's the way we put the sound of our programs together because that's all we have. There's no images. So it's basically everything we do. It's the aesthetics of your approach, choosing sounds, sequencing sounds, putting them in order, and layering sounds, putting them over the top of each other. So we're working with rhythm, with space, harmony and tension, creating harmony and tension in, in our work, and the interaction of sounds. Sounds uh, sound one way in isolation, but once you start to mix them together, they start to take on a very different character and transition between sounds, how you make sounds follow on from each other, in interesting ways. Um, yesterday, Nick from the books made an interesting quote. He said um, that their music was about finding poetry in unexpected places. And I think that's sort of what we're trying to do with radio programs, find moments of, moments of beauty, create moments in unexpected places. Um, but first of all, um, we're going to listen to a ghost story. OK, I'm sitting down and I've got my eyes closed. It's a rainy night. Uh, it's an old, old house in Camaray that I live in. It's very, um, very dark, probably because it's winter. And the tin roof on the old house, um, yeah, sort of seems to be being scratched by a tree and the rain coming down on it. It's quite spooky. So the environment that I'm in is, is quite spooky and I'm listening to The Tempest. All hail, great master, grave sir, hail! I come to answer thy best pleasure, be it to fly, to swim, to dive into the fire, to ride on the cold cloud. The story is 
spooky, it's about magic, the island in the play that Shakespeare wrote about. I'm just, I'm just there. If there are rocks, if there are weird boats, if there are weird people, like there were spirits and things in the play, then I'm right in there in my lounge room as I listen to the play. Hast thou, spirit, performed to point to the tempest that I bade thee? To every article. Every sound is like a little death, in a way. One, two, three, four, five, six! I'm in love with Massachusetts And the neon when it's cold outside And the highway when it's late at night I got the radio on Yeah, Jonathan Richmond's got his radio on But have you? Does anyone listen to the radio anymore? Why would you? When you can download the whole world to your desktop those little earphones that everyone's got in their ears. They've freed us from the tyranny of appointment listening. We can listen to whatever we want, when we want, where we want. But do we also lose something when we get total control? I think you should listen to I it. I should listen to it? Why? Yeah. Give me one good reason. Well, I mean, you are head of broadcasting. The slightly um, unpredictable nature of radio was very important. You didn't really know what you were going to get. I don't feel so bad now. Radio used to be the most elusive and ephemeral of all media. It drifted past your ear and then it was gone. And maybe that's what made the experience of listening so intense. Why radio leaves such deep sound prints on our inner ear. Presumably I must have been listening, listening with mother. Lunch hour crowds clustered grave-faced around transistor and car radios as the news spread. Some women were crying. I'm frightened. Quite mysterious. Of the strange creatures. Very puzzling. Coming down later, that ball he chopped it down to Silimadon to be fielded by Harvey. I noticed Bradman went across to Toshek. I remember the announcement of the Algerian war. I burst into tears. I couldn't, I couldn't stand. I, had, I just lay down flat on the carpet. It was just, uh, yeah, it just took me over completely physically. Sound is a ghost, in a way, and, and radio in this previous era was like a kind of haunting. David Toop is a musician, an improviser, a writer and a listener. Media theorists these days like to talk about the network condition. We're all just nodes for information to pass through, they say. And at the same time, we live amidst a vast digital archive of nearly everything that humans have ever thought, said or sung, at least in the last couple of centuries. Well, I'm curious about how that'll change what's involved in listening. Because in the past, radio made memories which were unrecoverable. You couldn't replay them like a tape or a record. So let's take a trip back to the time before the network condition when we were just islands in a radio stream. That's my noble master. What shall I do? Say what? What shall I do? And were you listening alone in the room or 
Yes, I was actually. Yes, it was a very, very vivid, very vivid experience. I can't quite explain it as well as I'd like to, but it was. I was there in on the island because of the the voices and the sound effects that were able to take me there. You feel inside yourself, but you're connected to the world, and, and there's this constant inner dialogue, you know, where you're hearing voices, you're hearing sounds inside yourself. That's um, an excerpt from a program I worked on called Listening to Ghosts. It was produced and conceived by uh, Tom Morton of the ABC. And I think it's a really great example of some of the ideas um, that I want to talk about, about creating um, images, creating moments that tap into memory and experience and that resonate with the listener. There's a point in the program where somebody says that moments of listening can be powerful and stay with you. And I think that's what sound, one of the things that sound can help you do. Voices can do it, stories can do it. Um, what we're doing is telling stories and sound is one element that can help you do that and create moments of powerful moments that stay with you. Um, with that piece, um, Tom came to the studio with ideas, music, interviews. He, he got some of those interviews in interesting ways. He went on one of our programs and did a talkback session and people rung in. So that telephone voice you heard was someone ringing in and being interviewed by him. Um, there's elements, the tempest is in there um, and there's a whole lot of other sounds which I'm going to show you now. Okay, there's, <laughs> there's pretty much what we were listening to. Um, and there. Some of the elements um, that we're working with, I'll show you. Um, working, the, that idea of ghost stories, somebody listening at night, radio, they're all really rich veins to tap for ideas about sound. Um, shortwave radio is a fantastically evocative sound of, of static drifting in and out of the ether. So we've got really, a really good series of images, voice images to work, work with. So a few of the elements we've got in there. Uh, there we've got wind through wires. That's from a, a sound effects disc. A bit of thunder. Rain. Oh, it's very subtle. <laughs> it's raindrops on a fiberglass roof. Door in the Wind, recorded by an ABC producer called Jane Ullman, who's done a lot of recordings. And probably spent a lot of time trying to get exactly that tin door in the right atmosphere. Bit of rain. A bit of music. So they're the sort of elements we've got to work with, and that's what I've laid up there to create that, that feeling.
um, Tom had the idea of working with that music at the beginning, that very insistent beat, which adds a, a tension and drives the program forward um, and recurs through the program. So um, a lot of the sounds and music are used as repeating threads and they drift in and out of the program at various points. Um, one of the other good sounds is this one. Shortwave really is a beautiful sound. This is a radio peaking. The thrill of connect. I have helped that a bit. <laughs> I've got a bit of a a wah pedal on it, like a guitar wah wah pedal. I can take that off. And a bit of delay. Just to make it sound a bit more ghostly and ethereal, but that's without it. It's still beautiful. The thrill of connection. And that recording was done by a colleague of mine. So when you're looking for sounds, I think your colleagues are one of your best resources. Um, things other people have done, things people know about. Um, and certainly where I work, that's one of the great resources. Is if you ask around, you'll find someone's recorded something strange at some point, and hopefully they can find it, or sound effects discs. So one thing that this program has a quite a free-flowing sonic structure, and that's in terms of structuring the program, that gives you a lot of freedom you, don't, you can drift from one idea to another and use the sound to connect it. So that's using sound as a, as a, a construction tool, as a way of, a sonic glue is a term I really like. It's a way of gluing together elements of your program and leading from one to another. Um, that's obviously quite a complex layout. Um, not everything needs to be that complex. Sometimes um, it could be just a human voice telling a story and that's and that's powerful, or it's how you cut up, cut up your material. For instance, in the, the short docs, um, Matt played the one about cycling in the first session. I think it's got fantastic sound design. It's all done with timing. It's all done with fast cuts, and that's, that's the sound design of that program. And in some of those recordings, um, there was rain behind it, so nature supplies its own sound design, which is great. There's more simple things you can do. For instance, um, one thing I really encourage our producers to do and is to record Atmos, what we call Atmos on location, which is if you're in an interesting place, you've, re you've interviewed someone, to record some of the sound of the, of the actual place. It could be the room, it could be, um, in this case, it's a car. The, um, the producer was recording someone in a car. So we... So we just sat in the car and got the sound of it. Now, that could be the car, it could be wind, it could be a, an engine. So you could actually use it in different circumstances if you wanted to. Um, and if you suggest a sound with the words, often the listener will make that link in their own mind. So what it allows us to do is Steve, to link together as an advertisement, no matter how well designed, 
whereas a newspaper article which we've generated, which quotes you and is about your issues, is perceived as news. As we hit the expressway heading for the city, Phil's car flashes under a bridge carrying a huge message from Optus, a billboard ad pushing their powers of communication. It's a reminder that while he's also in the communication business, he doesn't have the big dollars of the big corporates. His client is a small, low-budget, relatively unknown think tank. Well, for a little embryonic organisation like my client, Catalyst, to it. So it's a very simple way. I've just used a sound. I'm sure it's, it's nothing complex. What it does is instead of cutting between the person in the car, the script, the person in the car, it's linked those sections together. And obviously the, the announcer is not pretending he's in the car, but it's, it's provided a bit of a, a linking mechanism there. So it's a very simple way you can use the sound to um, glue together sections and give a, a consistency to your program. I'm going to play an extract from another program I've worked on. Um, it's by a producer called Natalie Kesticher, who's presented here previously. Uh, it's a program called The Silver Umbrella. And the idea of the program is there's three interlocking stories. Um, the story of Hemingway, who, whose wife left a manuscript on a train, one of his first, perhaps his greatest manuscript, who knows, no one's ever seen it, it was sitting in a case. It was left sitting in a case on a train somewhere and was never found again. Um, a silver umbrella that Natalie left on a train, on a German train, she was going to give as a gift to a friend, and the story of her father's lost childhood uh, during the war. So I picture it this way. She gets off the train, and because my imagination has been, as is the case with all who belong to our lost generation, compelled and shaped by the movies, I see it on screen as a long shot and then as a close-up. Lights, camera, action. Scene, smoke, smoke clearing, the wheels of the engine, a piston, the platform, the station, establishing shot. The station clock, the station master's watch. She is in fact a natural blonde, but her hair is in a page boy in brown, mauve sweater, skirt with a side slit, bombardier jacket, etc. Thank you. 
Hallo. Wer macht denn Christine? Christine, sag mir mal deine Nummer bitte. Spre sprechen Englisch? Uh, hello, is that Lost Property? One, the lost childhood. My father was a Holocaust survivor, of sorts. Actually, I think he was in Siberia during the war, well, somewhere over the Russian border, but he came from Poland, and I know that he wasn't in a concentration camp, not the kind where they gassed people, not an extermination camp. But then again, he always seemed so traumatized. He was young when war broke out. I think his father was transported and his mother, his five brothers killed. Or was it four brothers? Why do I seem so unclear on the details? The lost suitcase. What happened was that he and his first wife, Hadley, were living in the parish that he writes about so movingly in a movable feast. And they were always on the edge of penury, though somehow uh, at penury's edge, Hemingway nonetheless managed to go skiing in the Alps and take a side trip to Spain or, or, or Italy. And they decided that they would escape to the Swiss Alps so that he could focus on his writing. And he went ahead to scout out locations, found a little hut, wired back to his wife Hadley and said, everything's perfect, come join me. And while you're at it, please bring my work along. She packed really all the stuff that he had written up to that stage, uh, the early and in many ways we, we can presume the great short stories and took a train to meet him uh, in Switzerland. Somewhere on uh, the journey, that suitcase was misplaced. Hemingway's lost manuscript, my father's lost childhood, lost talent, lost opportunities, lost property, the silver umbrella. Like that? <laughs> well, first of all, it's a great idea and a great story, and no amount of sound you throw at something is going to save that. It's going to it's going to change that. Um, if you've got a, a if if your program, if your material's not bad, you, it's not going to some miraculous process isn't going to happen unless you're making a purely sound piece and you're. Um, but if you if you're telling a story, it helps to have a great idea, and that's a great idea. And the fact she's got three stories and she's conceived of an idea and we're using sound to tell that and we're using very evocative sounds. Um, trains, obviously her voice, family, um, the music. So we're all, we're drawing the listener in 
and we're keeping them listening when we're we're creating an atmosphere. I think that's the really important thing about this one. We're creating an atmosphere and a mood um, that complements the story. The music she used, which is, I mean, one of the good things about this is that it's playful, but it's serious. And it's, it's a serious story, but it's got fun elements. And somehow she lay, she's using sound to layer those two ideas together. That wacky Dutch song <laughs> with a very serious story. So it's, a, it's quite a delicate path she's treading in. And, um, I think it's, it's exceptionally well done. So in the studio, when we came to do that, we're, we're looking for the sort of sounds that can get those ideas around. Obviously trains, they're a very familiar sound and um, a very cinematic sound and, and incredibly evocative. Interesting thing about the music is that at one point we go from the song to just the melody line. What she did there was she got a friend of hers who's a guitar player into the studio and we recorded him just playing the melody line. So the, the music fades into this mournful echo of the still maintaining the music and the melody and just floating underneath. Um, so we got him to play along with it. So that's quite a, a good technique. Um, I went back to the original session of that and it's actually very simple. There's no fancy tricks in there. There's no multiple layering. It's pretty much exactly what you hear, a voice with sound and reverb and effects. So there's no... Um, multiple tracks. It's just sounds laid on each other and transitioning from one to the other. Um, and that's a good technique for working in programs if you can find a friend who plays an instrument. <laughs> for food. <laughs> They're musicians, it's, you know, they probably haven't eaten for a while. Um, <laughs> look, w collaborating is fantastic. Um, which is what I do. I collaborate with producers on ideas, bringing sound to ideas. Collaborating with musicians is also fantastic. If you can pay them even, if you've got a budget to pay, pay people, even the better. Um, even if you have someone or yourself play elements of music, single notes, sounds, even if you can't play an instrument, you can make a noise on it and that can be laid in against another sound in some form. So you don't have to be a musician to make music. You can actually... Um, record little bits of instruments and and weird them out, <laughs> stretch them, play them backwards, put reverb on them. It's a very music's a very plastic thing to play with. Um, a piano is fantastic. You can open a piano up and twang the the strings and record that. And there, it might not be the only thing you put behind something, but it might be part of a, a mix of elements that gives something a particular feel. The other thing she's done there is she's got location recordings. She's got atmosphere of a, a German railway station. And that's a fantastic element for a program because it, um, one thing our producers do is record lots and lots of atmosphere when they're somewhere. They're recording themselves walking, moving, interacting with the environment, moving through it, opening doors. They're recording static atmospheres, which is them standing somewhere like in a public place. And... It gives you enormous flexibility when you go to make a program. You may, not, you may not, at that point when you've done the interview or been in the place, conceive of how you would use that sound, but it's entirely possible you get to a point in the program when you're looking for something and that's the magical element you can use. Um, it may even be that you don't use it in that program. It may be you can use it in a different program. If, if it's a, at a railway station, you can build up a bank of sounds for yourself. And once you have that the more programs you do, you start building up that bank of sound. Other people are doing it too. Swap them with your friends. Um, 
you, you have this bank of audio material that you can start painting with, which is what it's like sometimes. You're throwing up sounds, you're trying them. Sometimes you don't know what a sound sounds like until you put it against a voice. And then suddenly something magical happens and it gets transformed into something else. Particularly with location stuff, that can really put you... It can put you in the moment, it can put you in the place. And that's part of what you can do with sound. You can transport some people there. You can make an immersive environment where either literally or slightly figuratively, where people get the sense of that place. Um, what's also quite useful is interacting with an environment. If you're somewhere and um, there's an old piano, play a few notes on the piano, not with a view to recording the piano, but recording the, the piano in the, in the place. Um, if you're interviewing someone, you could ask them about the piano and they could play something, um, and it might lead your story into a place it might not otherwise have been spurred by that search for an interesting sound and involve people with what you're trying to do i think that's really that can work really well sometimes if you explain to people you're looking for interesting sounds they can they can they might say oh well that's interesting around the corner there's a, a door that's really squeaky and it sounds beautiful people have an in, a um a real innate sense of most people have an innate sense of sound and even some things they think are remark uh, reasonably pedestrian for the radio producer, it's a really interesting sound that um, is very individual and you won't find it anywhere else. Um, I worked on a program about oyster farmers and we went out in a boat and we, um, we got off at an island in the middle of a river and there were pipes hammered into the sand and as the wind blew over them, they sung and it was this beautiful, they were all different lengths, so it was like um, an, a harp, an alien harp. Um, and it made a beautiful sound, which we could use. And um, the oyster farmer said, oh, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Oh, I hear that all the time. <laughs> and it was just part of his landscape. And it was an, a beautiful sound. You couldn't, have, you couldn't have created that. You couldn't have conceived of that sound of, um, by itself. So if you interacting with the environment is great. If you see a fence... Twang it, if you see a door, if a squeaky door, record it, because it might sound weird at the time, but it may be something you can, it may be a sound element, a distinctive sound element that you can build into your program. Um, and like I say, it could go in your library and you never know, that could be a sound you build some element of something else with. Can I ask you a question? Sure, go for it. The construction of that, the beginning part of that uh, Yep. The, the, the train station, was that processed in any way to make it something, you know, it was in, like, or was it just recorded intentionally very badly so you, the, the, the announcer is completely unintelligible? To... It was as bad as reality. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you didn't pipe that up with your no. EQ or anything? No, I have been guilty of that in the past, but no, no, that's, that's how it was. And that's, look, I, and I think that's part of it, that that's how um, train stations are, that we have the, the filmic view of sound, which is that you can hear every part of the announcer and every part of the scene is in, um, is under a microscope. But that's not how reality is. Not that you should be real all the time. That's what train stations sound like. You can't understand it and it's echoey. And that's one of the things we're using to create that, that atmosphere. Can I ask a sure. Um, the, the sound is so intrinsic to both of these pieces that I don't understand how you could write the script first. But is the script written first and then um, brought into the studio? They've recorded the sounds first. In those cases, they've, they've actually recorded the sounds themselves. So they know what sounds they have, and then they write the script. 
and then we put it against the the um, against the sound. But in their mind, they've already conceived of how it will will sound. Sometimes we record script against the sound, um, but generally we know what we're going to do. And I think when you record, sometimes when you record script and you know it's going to go against a sound or a particular sound, you can leave space for that and you can actually, it can change how you, the spaces you leave, because obviously if there's a sound, if you're being supported by a sound, you can be a bit more spacious in how you're talking and so that can change. But that, that is part of the, the conception of the program. Sound can also solve problems. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be all for sort of artistic purposes. Um, one way around that is um, an old trick is if you have a bad edit, you can put a sound underneath it. I'm sure maybe some people have used that. You know, it doesn't, it's amazing you know, what a door closed will, will do to a bad edit. <laughs> a noisy interview, if you've recorded something on a line or a phone line, some sort of sound under that can, um, can take the, the um, attention away from that. So sound, you can use it as a, as a problem-solving tool. The other thing you can do is, um, and this bit here, I'm going to play you now, is a piece of music. I was, this is a poet, poetry program. It's Australian crime poetry from various eras. We have a poetry program called Poetica, and it's, that's very interesting to do sound for because there's no... The, the poems are discrete elements, so there's no interlocking narrative through the whole program. So you have a lot of freedom, but you also have a lot of challenges in how do you actually come up with something interesting to put under those poetry, to put under that poetry. It doesn't always have to have something, but um, it can add an element to it. We had the end of a program, we had a poem, and we wanted to put some music under it. And there was a particular track I found by an Australian band called The Dirty Three. I really wanted to use it, but it wasn't long enough. about a minute, a minute and a half of music there and it's a really beautiful track and it really fitted with what we were trying to do but I wanted it to build up more slowly. I wanted to, to reach that, that sort of that, that peak in the music in a slower way. So first of all, how I approached it was, okay, those first opening notes, I separated them out.
Now, I wanted them to, obviously they, they drop away, so I put a bit of reverb on those. And I've repeated that, so I can keep looping around that. So, in fact, I've got, got 50 seconds there of that. The next thing I wanted to do was to actually go into the, the beginning of the song, which is... Sorry, there's, it's still a... I've gone back to the rhythm rather than doubling the rhythm. I've gone back to the original rhythm. And I've doubled that part up, tripled it up. Now, I wanted to augment that so it had a different feel. So we had some sense that it's a, a, um, a real song rather than a series of loops. So, what I found was, I got a, a bass drum. This is from a sound effects disc. And I've cut that to fit that rhythm. So now it sounds. Take it away, you can see the difference. And I was lucky in this point, it actually sounds like it fits. Yep, sure. Did you have musicians coming No, no, this is all off CD. This is all off CD, yeah. Uh, were you using uh, some sort of time grid to. Doing, I just did it by ear. Yeah, and it's, it's actually E relatively straightforward. I'm just going fine and finding the beats and this sort of music is actually relative straightforward. So I didn't use any compression. There's no pitch changing here. There's no compression or expansion or anything. And did you do anything between that between the beats? Um I'll I'll play the finished product and you'll see I've used reverb to link that in. Could you repeat the question? Sorry. Oh, yeah, sure. So the question, did I use any... Um... Yeah, I was just wondering if, um, if you had to do anything to clean up between the beats. To clean up between the beats. You mean where I've stretched it out? Yeah, or if it was just if you were able to do just these really clean edits because they were just... Yeah, it was a fairly clean recording, so I could actually I could do that. But, um, but reverb is a good way to lengthen, create endings out of things that doesn't have endings. It's a really useful technique, which we use all the time to create fake endings in music. Now the next thing I wanted, I wanted a, um, a melodic element to it. And the violin in there is beautiful, but it's, it's quite loud in relation to it. And I, in order to make it sit under the words, I'd have to take the music right down. So what I've done is... I've taken some um, of the violin from later in the song, brought it forward, and just EQ'd the hell out of it. put delay on it. So the drums are all in there, it's from the track. Because it's EQ'd, you can't hear the drums. It's very thin. In an isolation, it sounds bad. But when you start to hear it with everything else... You use the EQ to take the brightness out of it? Um, I took out everything, probably the, more the bottom end. Probably more the EQ I used to take the bottom end, to get rid of the drums. Just thin it out. Alright, so let's, you want to hear what it sounds like at the end? <laughs> okay, and this is with the poultry in it as well.
It's the way you feel as you do it. It's not good or bad or anything. And you lose the feeling as soon as it's over. It's like sex a lot. That's why when you steal when you're a kid, it's so strange, because you haven't got sex to compare it to. And then you start stealing things that are alive, like birds. It's hard to know the difference there is between, say, stealing from the zoo or young birds out of their nests. It makes you do stranger and stranger things, like stealing things from your wife. You can't tell anymore if it is stealing, and your friends get worried and afraid of you, or what you might do. The rows of cells are unroofed, a flute for the wind's mouth, who comes in with a breath of ice from the blue caves of the south. Oh, dark and fierce day, the wind like an angry bee hunts for the black honey in the pits of the hollow sea. Waves of shadow wash the empty shell bone bare. And like a bone, it sings a bitter song of air. Who built and laboured here, the wind and the sea say. Their cold nest is broken and they are blown away. They did not breed nor love, each in his cell alone, cried as the wind now cries through this flute of stone. Thank you. <laughs> so obviously, um, yep. Sorry, I was just going to say. Look, obviously, that's that's relatively complex. The examples I've chosen, the previous ones, they're, they're complex to show you what's possible. Not everything has to be that complex, or and but it's to show the plasticity of music. I think that's one thing that people tend not to muck around with music too much because there's a. I'm not sure if it's through respect, but um, <laughs> I, I don't have that. Yeah. Question: When when you have something that complex, did it ever cross your mind to say to to look for another piece of music? <laughs> you heard it, didn't you? There's no, there is no other piece of music that goes with that. I, I would probably agree with you. I tried the same thing, you know, for yeah. us expertly. But um, yeah, look, I I think through experience, I knew that I could get away with something with that track. Right. It had several bits. It had the opening. It had the beat, so I knew, and it, it wasn't that time-consuming, really. It looks worse than it was, but um, I I knew that it, I could get away with it with that track, and I knew it had possibilities. Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, what about the miking of the person that read the, the poem? What kind of thinking goes into that sonic environment mm. and what that recording is going to sound? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. Um, it's hard to me, like there's the echo or something. There's a little bit of um, reverb on her voice. Um, often with things like this, we'll tend to mic people quite closely with really good mics to try and bring out the... 
to really feel their voice. Um, it depends on the person and the program, but um, that's another sort of tool in working with sound, how you, micro how you mic people up and what you use. If you mic people close and how loud they speak. The closer you get, the more it's like a microscope on people's mouth, but they, they, they speak more quietly and they get into a different register and it can be an interesting um, way of working to, to try and explore those different registers. Often with actors, they're used to being loud, but when people speak quietly, um, something different comes out. Why'd you put reverb on her voice? Uh, I think it, it fitted at the time. You think it's wrong? No, no, I'm just curious, again, because generally, you know, in radio, you're just trying to dry it out. So yeah, it's yeah. With a spoken word thing like that. I think I've been through a long dry period and I want to try a bit of reverb. It just... Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes the decisions are as simple as that. I think it, it just fitted the... I wanted to add a bit of, um, bit of sparkle to her voice and... Um, I mean, it's dark, they're dark poems, and they get darker throughout the, the piece, and I wanted to, um, to sort of to bring that out. But yeah, look, it's a big decision. To, you know, reverb, you can go very, it can sound ridiculous if you put reverb on people's voices sometimes, and, but at that point it sounded right. You don't by chance have an example of a voice without reverb just to show the... Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a good thing if you are trying sound or trying effects. Always try them without it because sometimes it sounds better. Um, if, you're, if you're applying, often what happens is you put a lot of sounds against something, take some of them away because your starting point, sometimes less is more. And um, that's part of the experimental process. This is her voice. Rows of cells are unroofed. A flute for the wind's mouth who comes in with a breath of ice from the blue caves of the south. Oh, dark and fierce day, the wind, like an angry bee, hunts for the black honey in the pits of the hollow sea. It's still beautiful. And look, I would probably tend to, in something like this, tend to not use reverb rather than use it. But yeah, so it's a... Is that... And would you play it with the reverb? Yeah, I've only got it in the program, but... The rows of cells are unroofed. A flute for the wind's mouth, who comes in with a breath of ice from the blue caves of the south. So, I mean, there's things you can do with reverb. It's adding, what you're doing is you're playing with the pre-delay or you're playing with the reverb time. Sometimes short reverb times don't add an obvious, an obvious echo to the sound. What they add is a, a warmth or a, a kind of um, ambience around them. Yeah. I would just say hearing the two that also the reverb in her voice, it, it fits the tone of the music better. Exactly, and that, that is part of it. That's probably why I did it. it. I was trying to match her to the music. That's, it just fitted. Sometimes you don't know why you do these things. It just, it just fitted. Yeah. It's a, it's a great technique. It sounds like the right choice. But like if you're remixing someone's song, would you feel obliged to let it contact? No. <laughs> no, look, look, we would register it so they, where they would get the, what we call an APRA, like a payment. They would get the normal as if you'd played the song. So I don't want to rip anyone off, but um, yeah, it's, the music's out there and um, no, no. I don't at all. Sorry. <laughs> yes? This is probably a question that is answered by your experience, but how do you know what fits? How do you choose from your, I don't know, millions of fits? Yeah, it's a great question. Someone asked me yesterday. and <laughs> um, 
I think there's a part of it is experience that you're going for a feel in the program. You're going for a mood. Um, we could have gone for happy music and it would have, it may have weirdly worked. You just have to try it. Um, I knew I was looking for um, something dark. I knew I didn't want something that was a film noir kind of, that's been done with detective and it's a, it's a familiar, it's a familiar sound motive of, you know, the, the bass, the double bass and the, you know, the Maltese Falcon sort of sound. It's really, it's familiar and we didn't want to go down that path and it didn't fit. So we were looking for um, solo instruments, classical solo instruments, things like that. Um, I knew this particular band and I knew the song and I knew it would be good. So just through experience, I asked people. Um, we have actually have a sound library at the ABC and I spoke to them. I, I browsed through music, film music. There were a few soundtracks I looked at. Um, and the, in the end, what some of the options we came up with was that track and there's another one. Um, we came up with some John Cage, some Strindberg. So um, a bit of um, experimental, minimalistic music. Oh, that's, a, that's an Australian composer called Elena Katzichernan. So I've taken her music and I've put delays and I've put echo on it. We have a bit of... My friends. I'll play what it actually sounds like in context. It's experimental, minimalistic music. After school down the back lane, there was a factory that made Smith's chips. I'd go there with my friends, and we'd watch the men load the packets onto their trucks. We'd steal a carton off the back. They'd make you sick, because they were still warm, and because we'd eat so many. And then the next day, you go back and do it again. On swimming days, I'd go back into the dressing room and look through the pockets of the other kids. Sometimes you'd get five quid and you'd never know whose money it was because you didn't look too carefully. After all, they were uniforms. Household names made crime a club for well-bred amateurs. Slaughter, the coziest of indoor games. Where are the long weekends? So sorry, I'll interrupt a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Look, one thing I found in this piece, and one reason I played it, it's um, I've just I just laid music over the top of each other, percussion over the top of um, instrumental music, and look you'd be surprised how often it works. And what you do is you create something that's new, that's really individual, that doesn't exist anywhere else, that's made up of various individual pieces. And you can use effects on that to make it, um, to change it even further. And what I even found was, have I got it here? Yes. This is a solo cello. And I, I really liked it. And we, so that's a classical performance. 
And I had this other music, which is from a movie called The Proposition, which was scored by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, who's in the Dirty Three from the original music. So this throbbing beat. And I thought, just for the hell of it, why don't I put them on top of each other? Sometimes you just get lucky. <laughs> and that's not pitch changed or anything. Yes? Do, uh, does it ever get confusing? I mean, do you ever get confused and you're, oh my God, what have I done? Where have I done? What have I done? Where? And, you know, and do you need to go away from it and come back? Or how do you deal with that moment where you go, oh, oh look, this was great fun, but... I'm sure that's a familiar moment for everyone. You come in the next morning and go, what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> um, but look, Sometimes you go in and tweak, but generally if you have a good idea and you run with it, it's, you might go back and make a minor tweak, but um, sometimes you go too far. <laughs> and look, sometimes you're going for, I think, I, mean, I wanted a big, dark, dramatic sound for this, so I went big. <laughs> and uh, if I can ask you just uh, another question about that. Sure. How, how long did you spend on that? Like, what kind of time budget do you have? Right, how long did we, we spend on it? Um, how long we have on programs vary. Some programs, um, simpler ones, we might do in half a day, some a day, some four days, some a week. Um, this program probably took, because it's a bit more complex when you have actors in the studio, it might take you a couple of days to record actors. It was a big program, it was 50 minutes long, so you might take a couple of days just recording actors. But that probably would have taken between a week and two weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not, not exactly sure, actually. It, um, but we're, we're very lucky we have um, access to facilities and we're given um, time to do things and, and good things take time. And sometimes, um, unfortunately, but it's true, sometimes you make mistakes and you have to redo things and try things. Sometimes part of this process is just trying how, how things sound. The more things you put in, the more um, variables you have and you have to in make the interlocking pieces of the jigsaw puzzle all fit together. Yeah. Yes? Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, building up a library of sounds, not necessarily music, but I'm wondering, I, I imagine you must have quite a large collection. How do you keep this stuff organized? <laughs> How do we keep sounds organized? It's, it's as confusing as you think. Uh, <laughs> I do have sounds. Um, I'm probably not the best organized sound. Look, I tend to organise things by projects because I know what I've worked on and I know what I use. So it's that thematic and I'll have a hard drive with projects I've worked on. Um, it's really, it's, it's much harder to organise them than it is to record them, I've discovered. It's, it's really hard. Look, the best thing you can do is give them good names. Um, if you give something kind of a wacky name that sounds funny at the time, forget it, it's gone, you know, because you'll never find it. Give, give things long names that have multiple variations of what, you know, 
cello, dark, long, solo, instrumental. That's one way around it. Um, but, yeah, it's basically you have a memory of what you've worked on and um, you try and keep it as organised as possible and naming, 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 give things good names because it'll punish you otherwise. Yes? Uh, so, Stephen, you've been doing this how long? Uh, about... I've worked for the ABC for about 24 years. Okay, so I'm wondering if, uh, and obviously you have a really sophisticated ear for what you want and how to get there. So when, if you listen to things um, that you did when you were starting out, your one to five, how do they sound to you now? Like, are there things that you think, oh my God, how could I have done that? <laughs> yeah, sometimes, I mean, um, working, I mean, the term, it's a bit unfair to use the word cliche. Some things, some, there is some sound cliches um, and sometimes it's good to play with cliches because it's familiar to people. It's a familiar sound motif that people, you can tap into. But if you've sort of blindly stumbled into something and... But look, some things I have done... Um, it's interesting when you go back, it's like any program, even a straight interview program. Sometimes you think that was, that was much better than I thought it was. But um, oh, I'm pretty happy with things. <laughs> but some things I've gone, why did I do that? That's really bombastic and <laughs> pretentious. But um, generally I'm working, part of working in a team is that sort of protects you from yourself. Um, if you're working with other people, it's fantastic to work in collaboration with other people because that one of the reasons I don't have a don't think that's necessarily right is because working with other people you're um, keeping each other honest <laughs> and other people hear your work and comment on it sometimes what will bring people in and listen to it have a listen what do you think of that and I'll go they're all the sort of the protection mechanisms if you like and they'll say you know what that's a beautiful sound but it's just inappropriate it's just not it doesn't fit and we'll rethink it so using colleagues as you as as ears someone who doesn't isn't as involved in it um Particularly with things like sounds, like I said, you can get beautiful sounds that just individually are right, but um, it just doesn't, it's all about the program. Yeah. Are, are you a musician? Uh, I, I play a bit of guitar, but I mean, not great. I mean, how does that inform what you do? Oh, I think it helps. It definitely helps. Um, a lot of sound engineers uh, are musicians or in some degree, so I think it, it really helps. And it... Um, I think what's interesting is you don't have to be a musician to play music in the sense of working with sound in this way, that um, you, can, you can pick up an instrument you, you can't play and you can just make it make a noise and you can do something with that noise. Um, but, yeah, I think that sense of rhythm is really important. Programs having a rhythm, either a regular rhythm or an arrhythmic quality, and that sense of, of rhythm, I think, is, is like one of the fundamentals of what makes a program, when things come in, and how that affects the final result. Yes? Uh, I find when I'm working on stuff like this, I have like go-to uh, things that I'll do, like drones or stuff. Yeah. Do you try to embrace having your own style to work on other people's projects, or do you try to keep it personal? Uh, yes, the question, do you, do you embrace, do I embrace my own style, or do you try and do different things, is that right? Yeah, look, it's really hard and sometimes you're not conscious. Yeah, actually compiling all these things, I did notice um, there were sounds that were common to... <laughs> and so um, you try and be aware of that because um, 
um, otherwise your work can become con too consistent. And once again, that's one of the great things of working with other people, that they, they bring something else and they've got their own sounds, their idea of how things should sound, and so we're bouncing ideas off each other. Um, but, yeah, sometimes if you, you realise and listen to this, there's a few things I won't do again <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yes? I'm working with a piece that has a lot of foreign language in it, and yeah. Thoughts about it? Um, yep, yeah, definitely. We work a lot with foreign language. I've worked on a lot of foreign language programs. Um, I mean, the main techniques, obviously, is the, the talk over. And the question here is about how do you work with foreign languages. Um, you fade down the foreign language and you talk over it in English. And, and that works and it's quick. It's quite brutal. Um, but that is one of the techniques. The second is the ABAB. A bit of foreign language, a bit of English. A bit of foreign language, a bit of English. It all becomes longer um, and it starts to become almost bilingual. Certainly programs I've worked on um, have been as understandable to native speakers as they have been to English speakers. And you have to presume the audience has a tolerance for listening to a foreign language, which I think they do. I don't think um, maybe some people, but I, I think people have more of a tolerance to hearing foreign languages than a three seconds at the beginning. I think you have much more to play with. And... The third sort of main technique is weaving it with the English on top and in the gap, spacing the English out and, and words coming up um, in between. And that technique I, I really like it because you get the sense of the foreign, foreign language, particularly if the words that are coming up are identifiable to an English speaker, if they have a common um, root so that you can actually understand it. And if you can inter interweave the two, it can work really well. And that's where recording atmosphere helps because it gives you something to fill, fill the gaps because they don't always um, work out the same length. So if you have an atmosphere when you've recorded the foreign speaker, that's something you can use to actually... So when the person stops talking, you don't go to silence and you, you have the sense of a conversation, which is, I think, um, what, what you really want. And, and if you do it right... Um, a person who understands both languages still can get the sense that they're hearing something that makes sense in both languages. Yes? Mention sound cliches. Yes. Curious about what some of those are for you. <laughs> sound cliches. Um, a couple of years ago, every time on the news you'd hear something about the economy, they'd play the Pink Floyd track Money, you know, with the cash registers. <laughs> and it just kept happening and happening and happening. So. And it wasn't just my network, uh, the television would do it. I, I'm not sure why, and, and it drove me mad. Then I started to enjoy it. <laughs> um, some of the sound cliches. Look, um, I, probably something like... Um, anyone think of any? What's a, any any favourites? School bell in the hallway. Yeah, school bell. What was that? The film noir music. Film noir music, yeah, yeah. It's on the phone. Dr. Peterson's office. Yeah, absolutely. Done it, done it, done it. Yeah. Sorry? Car door. Car door, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're all classics. Uh, look, um, the sort of the hidden classic is every time someone speaks into a microphone, it feeds back. And if you see a film, that happens all the time. And it's not so much a cliche, but it's, I love it. I always do it. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just think it's, yeah, uh, it's one of the secret cliches. Look, um, sometimes 
that is one of the, the great things about speaking to your colleagues. Um, you may not know it's a cliche. I may not know it's a cliche. You play to someone, they're going, oh, you know what, that's... Um, it's that thin line between cliche and familiarity. You're trying to, like... I mean, you could say the, in the second piece, The Silver Umbrella, that the trains, you know, there's an element of hearing trains clicking on a track that you've heard before. Hopefully that the context of the program makes it clear that you're not just using sound as something you just chuck in to suggest something that it's an integral part of it. But, um, and you can play with that cliche. You can play with it too. Um, um, well, I think I've got one. Let's see. Anyway, yeah, so look, beware of the cliche because it, it can sound bad, but it can learn to love the cliche. It can be useful sometimes. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. I have one from a while ago. Uh, this is a program about Kosovo. A lot of uh, Kosovo refugees came to Australia during the um, the crisis there. And this is so. This is probably a ten-year-old program. I think there's some translation in this. Uh, look, at this stage, Australia really cannot. Selective this week. You don't know nothing about his parents, father and mother. His brother and two sisters. So there are five members. His father was taken by the police uh, and he doesn't know anything about his fate now. There I lived, the hardest... Yeah, so that was, a, that was one where there was a translator on location. There's actually quite a lot of work to make that sound like that. It sounds quite natural. It's a conversation between a translator someone speaking um, in Albanian and a third person is there obviously there's a there's a, a journalist there so we've, we've cut her out and we've made a sense of a conversation between two and we've played the Albanian not always in its entirety but enough so that it actually makes sense so that's that's one one way of just an a b a b one of the other ways of dealing with it when I came home at two o'clock, my building was blocked by policemen and officers. I thought they were going to kill me. I asked them where my family was. They said, you have forced them to leave and you remain here to fight against us. They were going to shoot me, but a serve from my building stopped them. The streets were full of police. I joined another family who were leaving in the same direction. I walked about seven kilometers, then we came across another group of Serbs. Their leader took out his weapon and was preparing to shoot all of us. There were two girls in our group and a servant with a mask wanted to take them and rape them. I said to him, these are my sisters, shoot me first and then you can rape them. They took me to a barracks and beat me for 10 minutes. They used their weapons and their boots. So, um, that's one way. It's actually got a bed 
of atmosphere underneath it. Um, and the person doing the translator is someone who helped us with the program, who's actually was from Kosovo, so it's a, not a trained actor. That's one way. Um, there is a third way in this program. I will uh, find this very difficult. There's lots of Albanian. So once again, it's, it's, in some ways it's almost bilingual. You could listen to that as an Albanian, not understand English and still know what was going on, which was one thing we tend to try and do is not use foreign language as a, an interesting sound, just an element, um, but as actual so that the story is still there in both languages, that we don't um, diminish that foreign language because there's people hearing it who it's important things that's being said and it's important to them and um, we don't want to diminish that in any way. Yeah. Yes? With radio drama, how much is recorded on location? Uh, with radio drama, how much is recorded on location? Um, most of it's done in the studio. Occasionally it's done on location. I've certainly done drama on locations and it, you get a very different feel um, recording on location. It has its own set of problems, but you certainly get that sense of place and people interacting with it more. Um, I, I can't say it happens all the time, but it certainly does happen. Sometimes scenes happen, what, and that's an interesting way of doing it, that maybe not the whole drama is recorded on location, but a particular scene is done with portable equipment in a foyer of a building or in a house. So it, it's not unknown. Of a drama, a radio drama. Um, somewhere between a, a week to two weeks, maybe. That's including recording the actors. Yeah. We tend to do things, depending on how complex it is, sometimes it might be if it's just a two-hander, um, it's something that can be done relatively quickly. But um, often it just, the nature of the beast is it takes longer. Any other questions? Yes. Do you have an example of a really creative sound design in a more conventional news piece, so not, not poetry or... Yeah, um, look, what I'll do is I'll play you one. And it's a good question, I suppose, that not all pieces are suited to that, that sort of treatment. Um, they're more, more extreme cases. Um, sometimes it, this is a program about... Um, It's called Two Weeks in Another Country. It's about um, Sharon Davis, who's a, a journalist I work with, who went to South Africa. And, um, and this, this uses sound not so much for the music elements. It's about live location, um, the sounds of a place. I've always had a love-hate relationship with Johannesburg. When I first moved here in 1995, I found it ugly and brutal, surrounded by razor wire and security fences and dogs and alarms and lots of traffic. Not long after we'd found a house, an Afrikaans carpenter came to fix the front door. 
which had been smashed in a robbery. He was complaining about the level of crime when he turned to me and said, you Australians did the right thing. You killed all your blacks. It was the first of many times that I was confronted in South Africa by Australia's history. But it's people and friendships and familiarity that make a city your own. And I grew to love the haphazard nature of the place. The street sellers that would appear overnight and disappear just as quickly. The pavement barber shops, the distorted music from the ghetto blasters, even the hustle of the traders from other countries. Je m'appelle Eddie, je suis du Congo. From the Congo, Congo Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. I lived in Yeovil, a suburb very close to the city, a lively place of Jewish bakeries and nightclubs and music, a mixed population of white and black. Yeovil was already changing when I left, overflowing. Apartheid had kept people out of the cities. Now they were pouring in, looking for work. Very well. You do very well. It's one of the nation's biggest problems. You're selling what? The big issue? The big issue, magazine, yes. For the homeless and the poor and unemployment and poverty. I'm unemployed. Yeah. Yes. How long have you been unemployed? It's 2000. What were you doing before that? I was working in a factory. In a factory? Yes, for seven, nine years. So the factory closed down. Ah, okay. It's very tough in Johnson. South Africa is all it's tough, there's no job. No one thought that building a new society would be easy, and Yeovil confirms that. The good nightclubs have gone, along with the banks, and there's drugs and gangs. On this visit, it's not safe for a white person. So I reluctantly stay in another suburb, Melville, another side of the new nation. It was once all white, now a new black middle class mixes in the late night cafes. It's still quite a personal story, rather than a... So is that sort of the sort of thing you're interested? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're always... Uh, like, we straddle lots of lines when we can use music and mm -hmm. how much editorial are we putting into things yeah. And there's, there's actually, there's a lot going on there. Sharon's very careful. She recorded hours and hours of atmospheres and she's catalogued it so she can draw upon it. So there's actually a shifting series of, as she's talking about moving through the streets, what we've done is we've layered sound to get that movement in there. It's not, um, it's not all one piece of Atmos underneath it. There's, there's many pieces of Atmos under there and the radio's coming up. We're moving through, we're crossfading from one to the other. We've got the music coming in at the right point. So there's actually quite a bit of work to get that sense of that, that place in there. Yes. I'm wondering if you could comment on um, the working process of, of working with, like, some, like this person probably came to you with a script and a whole bunch of sound, and like what is the process of the give and take of you, know, you deciding where this goes versus them right. wanting things here and there, and what, what processes <coughs> have worked for you, or what mm. favor, what pitfalls do you right. warn us against? The working process, yeah. Look, it depends on the individual. Um, 
I mean, a lot of people I work with, I've worked with many times before, so we, um, um, you know, we know how to work with each other. And um, generally the person comes with a, they've done recordings and they have a very, they have a very good idea of how they want the structure of the story, the journalistic elements to go. The words, yeah. And they, um, and what we will work together on is structuring that put and choosing the sounds. They'll have ideas, often they'll have ideas about the sounds they want under it or the options because I think often working with someone in the studio, what it gives them time to do is work on the, the structure of the story and not have to simultaneously be working on the minutiae of the sound. It's a big, a big ask for anyone, I think. Do you listen to all of the sound that they've brought in or do you talk them through, like, well, this really needs this kind of sound. Do you have anything like that? Or? Um, we'll, often before we'll go through, we'll have a discussion, what have you got? I can't, obviously they might have you know, 50 hours. Um, Sometimes in the past, in previous programs, I've recorded all the sound, so I've known. And there's a, obviously, that's very time-consuming, but I, the good thing is I know exactly where everything is. But generally, we'll have a conversation about what you have, and we'll go through it. We'll have a flick through the sounds um, so that we both know what the, you know, the palette of sounds we've got to draw on. And then we'll start um, constructing it and trying sounds and trying getting the, the transitions. Obviously... Often with programs, it's the transitions or all the, the work is how do you set your chapter points? How do you move between one section of the program to another? And that's one way sound is actually a really useful tool that you can, it's another way you can move between parts of your program and you can add dramatic points to the program. And then we, we just start trying things and making it. I imagine it. there must be some people that you consider really easy to work with or really good to work with. I'm just wondering what qualities they bring to that. Oh, look, I think as, lo as, as long as people have... Um, most people are great. I've got... Yeah, I'm really lucky to work with people who are really interested in what they're doing. Um, but it's a huge advantage if people have recorded lots of sound. And as I always say, just keep recording, you know. Memory's cheap. It, just keep recording. It might seem inconsequential at the time, but if you... When you go to this, this stage of it, the putting it together, that's where... Um, and that's that conversation, oh, I might say, what would be great here is, a, is this? And they say, oh, yeah, well, that happened, but I didn't record it. <laughs> um, having a huge bank of material to work with is a huge advantage, and it might be if you're recording while you're walking up to the front door and you record the knock on the door, you might not use it, but it's there, and there may be a point where, even for technical reasons, you just want um, something to cover something up. Um, it might be in a different program. You might make a program six months later and say, I'd really like a really good sound of um, someone standing near a highway or in a city, on a city corner. And you say, well, actually, I have one of those and I don't have to go looking for it and rather it becoming an impediment to the program, you can just get it quickly, you can put it in and it might be right, it might not be. Sure. Do you work by yourself on many projects or are you generally working? Generally, sometimes, sometimes, um, but generally we work in teams and that collaboration is, is great. Two people working on something, two sets of ideas, it's I'm, really good. I'm wondering, uh, when you do work, with your, work only by yourself, like, where do you start? <laughs> In terms of a program like that? Yeah, like, how, how do you start thinking about structure? Because I imagine it's different from how, you know, journalists think about structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, generally, it's, it's with other people, but if I'm, if I'm structuring something myself, um, I think it's just listening and experience and moving things around 
playing with the structure, reorg reordering things, not telegraphing stories. Um, so that um, using the sound as a way to introduce elements rather than using the voice to do that, um, things like that. We should um, wrap it up soon. I'm going to play one bit. Um, this is something I have done myself. <laughs> we have a program called The Night Air, which is a remix program where they take various programs that we've made and bits of sound, it's an experimental program, they cut them up and make it a new program. And they have a theme each week and um, they ask various people around the ABC just to, to make pieces for them. And um, I made a piece for them and I, I've always been fascinated by um, flawed experts, people who are experts in something but actually don't really know what they're talking about but speak with complete, uh, complete confidence. And, and I wanted to... <laughs> I, I wanted to make an expert like that. So... This is a, a man called Wayne Fennell. Wayne Fennell's World of Nature, Section F, Krill, Slaughter of the Innocent. Little attention is usually paid to the tiny sea-dwelling crustacean commonly known as krill. They seemingly drift silently through the extremities of our coldest oceans with little purpose other than as fodder for predatory whale, narwhal and walrai. But recent research suggests that we have more in common with this humble, diligent creature than ever imagined. Krill, or Crustaceus miniaqueus aquatae, is the smallest member of the bifulvate family of crustaceans. This means that, whilst simple and delicate creatures, they have two separate nervous systems. The first caters for the primary functions of survival, such as eating, sleeping and copulation. The second nervous system, however, is solely dedicated to the sensation of fear. Whilst only possessing one instinctive response may lead the casual observer to assume the krill to be a simplistic organism, in fact, from this one sensation, a complex palette of emotion can be derived. Absence of fear creates what we know as happiness. Remembrance of fear could be considered sadness. We can only assume that if one krill alleves the fear of another, they can perhaps feel love for one another. Recent Japanese research has revealed a fascinating insight into the perilous world of the humble krill. What you are listening to now is a hydrophonic recording made by Japanese scientists of a frenzied surprise attack on a grazing flock of krill by a hunting party of grey whales. Listen. At first, the krill float unaware. Then, the whales coordinate their attack. The krill scream in terror as the gigantic mammals slice through their extended family groups. Many are lost. Then, sated, the whales withdraw, for now. Listen again. That faint, high-pitched sound, barely audible, is believed to be the crying of the orphaned young. Peace returns to the tribe now, 
but the Krill's struggle for survival will continue. Thank you. I hope that answers the question about cliché. <laughs> Thanks very much.